What's going on, guys? Michael here, Energy 360 by Intercom. Excited to be bringing you this interview between Stu Turley, who's the director and publisher of Oil and Gas 360, and Blanca Andres, who's actually the chief financial officer. And it's the first time you'll be seeing an interview where she's involved. It's an awesome conversation they have with EnergyNet. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But first, if you are not subscribed to the 360 Digital Closing Bell, hosted by yours truly, me, please stop what you're doing, pause this video, subscribe at www.oilandgas360.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify. Spotify, go find Endercom at YouTube. Please rate, review, subscribe, whatever that makes all those algorithms love us and put us to the top of the feeds. Please do that. We cover everything you need to know finance wise. You're going to get content from me every single day. We got two long form podcasts. Three of them have already dropped. Oh, we do a digital ticker every single day. It's a great show and please check it out. Also, if you like this interview, please, please, please watch more of them. We have all different types of energy. You can go to www.oilandgas360.com. Look at their Energy 360 network, expert network and it's just a boatload of stuff we've got uh, rare petro and vernis you know we're coming up and and this one we have with energy net is awesome and it's with chris atherton who's the ceo and founder of energy net and really what energy net does is they're an oil and gas acquisition divestment platform they're one of the best they range anywhere from a thousand dollars to 250 million dollar deals they've done so many cool deals with and this is such an awesome conversation and i don't even want to spoil it so with that i'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Stu. I believe you're in Denver today. Is that right? I am. And I believe Chris is in Houston. So good morning, Chris. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today on our Entercom uh, 360 Energy Net Network. And uh, thank you for your time. Good morning, Blanca. Good morning, Stu. How are you guys today? Oh, it, uh, good. Healthy and safe uh, so far. So thank God. That's fantastic. I'm glad to hear. Well, thank you for your time this morning. Chris, uh, just a, a quick, uh, I guess, a quick question or a quick uh, update. How is your EnergyNet network uh, family doing and how are your clients and how are you handling things in this climate that we have going on right now? Yeah, EnergyNet has about uh, 45 employees total. Uh, we have about 10. Uh, our business development team and technical team are located in Houston, Texas. We have about another 25 or 30 in Amarillo, Texas, that does our, um, uh, our prepares our virtual data room, our mapping, our uh, some of our engineering uh, closings, conveyancing, marketing, kind of the, some of the back office functions, running the business. And then we have satellite offices in uh, Denver, Oklahoma City, uh, Dallas, Midland, uh, and, uh, and Tulsa as well. And but how the are they all doing? Everyone's everyone's doing great. Um, you know, we're just we're kind of dealing with this day by day. Uh, the team's primarily working remotely. Uh, we're 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 uh, you know uh, our marketplace and our platform is is, is digital and has been for twenty years. So, uh, you know, we, we run this uh, this acquisition investment platform. So uh, times have been slow with more so I mean, the, the COVID-19 issue is, is one thing for us, as you guys know, for oil and gas, the, the March 9th OPEC plus impasse uh, on production cuts really was kind of a one-two punch, kind of two black swan events occurring simultaneously, at least for the oil and gas industry with a kind of, uh, you know, a, a big, huge drop in demand with COVID and, and, and people not going to work or not traveling uh, and, you know, trucks not running, airplanes not flying. And then also a big supply uh, influx, um, or, or really uh, OPEC and Saudi Arabia and Russia supply oversupplying the market. So 
um, you know, we're dealing with both of those things. For EnergyNet's clients, um, you know, we EnergyNet runs acquisition investments on on a, on a pretty massive scale. We do about you know a billion to two billion dollars in asset sales every year, uh, and that encompasses two thousand to three thousand individual oil and gas transactions. Uh, so March has been a, a slow month, uh, as you can imagine. It's very difficult for buyers and sellers to get together on what an asset is worth when the price of oil drops from $50 to $20 in a period of days. Um, so that makes it difficult for buyers and sellers to, to, uh, to reach agreement. Uh, what we've seen really is, is kind of a pause in divestment efforts. Uh, we work with, you know, companies as big as ExxonMobil, Chevron, BP, Shell, ConocoPhillips, all of those companies have plans to divest assets. They had plans in December to divest assets in January and February. You know, some of these asset packages we were actually going to market or were in market in mid mid March, uh, and those those asset those asset divestitures have essentially been shelved for the time being until the market stabilizes. Uh, we expect those to still occur and still go to market. We expect buyers to be there on the other side to bid on those assets. Uh, but for a large a large portion of the business. Uh, a and D is kind of we're, 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 uh, companies are pausing their efforts. Um, it just one, it takes you know it, it's difficult for buyers to have a lot of conviction and bidding aggressively or bidding confidently on an asset uh, with so much influx, and then the sellers you know don't want to rush to market to sell an asset when prices are maybe at their lowest or or uh, their lowest for the time being. Um, Chris, uh, with all of the mergers and acquisitions and bankruptcies coming around the corner. Uh, how do you see that? Because you guys are technology uh, set up. How do you see all this bankruptcy and all of these things affecting you? I mean, you just described uh, some of the things that you're facing, but don't you see a lot of bankruptcies coming around the corner? Uh, we do. Um, there's a lot of companies that are over levered that will be in distress situations. Um, EMP companies, whether they're publicly traded or uh, you know private equity sponsored or uh, just you know privately held, a uh, number of kind of the different categories that we group uh, our 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 selling clients, our buying clients, in, we really see a lot of pain in the uh, small to mid cap publicly traded companies, uh, really over levered. Uh, shale plays uh, a very capital intensive business. A lot of those companies. Uh, we're working with and we have worked with uh, uh, over the years. Uh, many of those companies had, uh, you know, as, as, as a way to, uh, to fend off potential bankruptcies or restructuring efforts, you know, those companies are intending to sell assets or, or they were. Uh, now that the situation has become a little bit more dire, uh, you know, you, you're, if you're, if you're gonna, gonna file bankruptcy or gonna file chapter 11, uh, you probably aren't going to rush to sell assets right now. Uh, some of those, if they could, if, if they were looking at that as a possibility, maybe from three to six months from now, they would try to raise cash by selling non-core assets or selling core assets, and bring cash in the door to pay lenders, to pay employees, to keep the doors open. Uh, but if they're facing that, you know, next week instead of six months from now, uh, they're going to probably go through those processes. We've had a lot of success as EnergyNet. I mean, what we run is a very competitive transparent marketplace. So when we sell a property for a company like Chevron or a company that's in distress or an individual, 
uh, you know, we're preparing a very comprehensive data room on the attributes of their specific asset or assets. Uh, we're widely marketing it. We have 35,000 registered qualified, financially qualified buyers. Uh, putting, it, putting it through about a, essentially about 30, a 21 day to 35 day uh, competitive bid process uh, and successfully closing the transaction. So there, there is some, I guess, misconception that the sellers, uh, I guess the, the concept of a fire sale, I have to sell everything right now and I'm going to, you're going to get, you know, people are going to buy it for pennies on the dollar. In the, 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 the fallacy in that argument, in my opinion, is, is it, in, if there are no buyers, yes. If, if, if I put an ad in the newspaper and, you know, the Billings, Montana newspaper and it's on the second to last page and it's about this big, then, you know, you may not have as many buyers, but if EnergyNet's pumping this, opportunity out to our 35,000 registered buyers and you have 3,000 buyers access the data room and you have, you know, 130 buyers sign the CA and you have 30 offers, you know, that's probably fair market value for that asset. It might not be, I mean, the, 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 the concept that it's, it's a fire sale, that, that's one thing, but, you know, if you have 30 offers, I mean, at today's moment in time, that's probably a very competitive offer and a good offer for that particular asset. But that's really what we bring to the market. Uh, but we in, in historically when the 2015 uh, uh, price collapse happened and we had kind of an oil and gas downturn in 2015, EnergyNet's had a lot of success selling for we've done about probably 50 different bankruptcy cases back then, uh, and then we've also done um, uh, work for post Chapter 11 uh, sellers that have reemerged. And those companies included the likes of Lynn Energy or Vanguard Natural Resources or Samson Resources or Sabine. You know, there was kind of a 2015, 2014, 2015, 2016 wave of EMP companies that, that, uh, that had to file Chapter 11, that restructured. The, the, the debt owners became the new equity owners. And as soon as they got out of their restructuring, uh, they began selling assets and kind of coming up and formulating a new a new plan for the company, but a lot of that involved asset divestitures, and we were fortunate and able to, to help those companies divest those assets. Um, there's some of those same companies are, are facing the same situations again, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and what we what we see is that this time around there will be less, maybe Chapter 11s and more Chapter 7, which is would be an outright liquidation of the assets. Uh, and, you know, the bankruptcy judge and court is involved in those cases, but uh, the, the lenders and the stakeholders and those entities, you know, have, have waited and waited for a sunnier day and that has not materialized for them. Um, you know, Chris, I believe you started, uh, if I'm correct, in 2002 with EnergyNet. Is that? I did. I did. The company started in 1999. I started with 2002 uh, after a, my uh, my career with Enron didn't didn't pan out like I wanted it to. Um, yeah, it seems like that happens a lot in the oil field. <laughs> um, <laughs> what kind of technology did you start with? And you had mentioned earlier that you guys are now technologically uh, already rolling. Um, how did it start, and what were the processes, and where do you think you're going as EnergyNet in the technology area? Yeah, no, that's a good question, Stu. So you know. Uh, Kind of a, a little bit of a brief history of time, and we're kind of uh, seeing this uh, deja vu all over again. But oil and gas auctions, 
you know, as a, as a method to sell oil and gas assets were not really a, a commonplace thing, uh, you know, in the, in the oil and, oil and gas industry. Uh, in uh, the 1985, 1986 oil crash, uh, a bunch of savings and loans, SNLs also went bankrupt. Uh, and the, the federal government had to, US, US federal government had to step in to save the day, uh, similar to now similar to 2008 TARP, the situation that was set up. Uh, and back then in 85, 86, uh, there was a, a, a federal, U.S. federal uh, entity called the Resolution Trust Corporation, the RTC, that came in and, and, and essentially bailed out or, or foreclosed and took over all the assets of the savings and loans across America. And in those savings and loans, many oil and gas assets existed, not equipment, but actual conveyances to leases, to mineral rights, uh, to ownership in those assets that were the lenders essentially foreclosed on and now the federal government owned those. So uh, the RTC hired a group uh, that typically did equipment auctions and, uh, and they said, can you sell this, this conveyance, this you know, uh, oil and gas assignment of, uh, of royalty or, or lease in, in you know, Reeves County, Texas or Midland County, Texas and the equipment broker said, we can sure give it a try. And they held essentially kind of hotel ballroom style auctions. Uh, and, and the founder of our company and many of his, uh, his uh, colleagues and compatriots were, were bidding on those assets with zero due diligence, buying them with their credit cards, uh, you know, buying a, a $10,000 property for $1,000 because they didn't know what it was or where it was, driving all over the country trying to see, trying to visit with the pumper to see how much barrels the actual well was producing before they bid on it. Very archaic. But it, it, it worked and, and, uh, and that same company was able to, after the Resolution Crust Corporation kind of gave them their start, was able to go to other oil and gas companies and say, you also have this big swath of non-core assets. Uh, let us auction those to, to buyers instead of, uh, instead of just holding them forever or selling them a big swath you know, for, a very, for a discounted price to another uh, oil and gas company. So that happened, these were, and, and I'm, 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 getting, I'm getting to how EnergyNet comes into it, but, but they, these were kind of hotel style cattle auctions that were done for oil and gas assets. Uh, 1999, the, the internet happens and Amazon and Yahoo and uh, socks.com and pets.com and you can do everything that you can do uh, in the physical world through the internet. Uh, so our founder, uh, founders, uh, Jim J. Brewer and Bill Britton founded EnergyNet to essentially take this auction component uh, that was going on in hotel ballrooms in Oklahoma City or Houston online, uh, and we uh, we started we started doing it. It was very much similar to an eBay style business model, uh, where we had ongoing auctions. We had data rooms that showed the cash flow of the property, the production of the property, who owned it, how they owned it, what the material agreements were, what the geology was. So what we did is uh, where there was very limited uh, diligence materials to evaluate a property. We really bulked that up. We had a full internet data room with geology and engineering and land and maps and production. Uh, and really, you know, you could understand from your, from your home or from your office, you could get on the internet, look at a property, evaluate it from start to finish and bid on it. And if you were the winning buyer, then we would invoice you uh, and you'd send the money to EnergyNet. We'd send the money to onto the seller and, and file the documents of record and, and rinse and repeat and do it again. So. And when I started with the company, uh, uh, you know, we were doing, you know, 
30, $50 million a year in, in asset sales. Uh, you know, we, we really worked hard and, and, and sold our, our service to the largest EMP companies nationwide. Uh, really anybody that would allow us in the door or, uh, and we'd, we'd give them our, our value proposition and our sales pitch before they, before they tried to kick us out. Uh, but kind of what, what began as kind of a novelty or a fad, maybe like uh, selling assets, selling oil and gas assets on the internet, uh, uh, seemed odd. And it seemed odd when I first began with, uh, with in the oil and gas industry and, and with EnergyNet, you know, I would go in and talk to someone my father's age and say, you have these oil and gas assets, we would like to market those, we'll create a competitive marketplace, um, you know, and we're going to do it through an online platform and they'd say, well, that's not how we do it, son. We like to do face-to-face -face negotiations and you can see your way to the door over there. Um, and uh, now, you know, the people I'm dealing with are, you know, are buying things on amazon.com. They're buying their dog food from amazon.com. They have online banking. They have pay their taxes online. They talk to their, their lawyer online. You know, everything in the world is done through a, 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 a digital electronic medium. So kind of the technology moved in our favor. Uh, the the um, the, um, the decision makers that were making these decisions to what to do with their asset it seems like a no-brainer to, to use an online platform to sell assets to get the widest possible audience to run it through a competitive bid process so you know going from the year 1999 to, to where we are 20 years later uh, you know we're selling you know a couple billion dollars worth of assets per year you know 35,000 registered buyers we sell you know, assets for the largest EMP companies in the world. Uh, you know, we also sell for individuals and banks. We uh, we sell for uh, we run facilitate online sale processes for the U.S. federal government, the state of Texas, state of New Mexico, state of Wyoming. They run their lease sales. That's kind of a, a separate business, but complementary. But it's it, it's been it's been a good ride. It's it's been bumpy and it's been difficult, but it's been a good ride. Well, Chris, outstanding. Um, you had All mentioned right. a couple. A uh, couple of things. Um, just listening to you, uh, the old style uh, oil doesn't change very fast. You know, it's just they don't like the technology, and it's like a, it's pulling teeth. You're really a uh, early starter in the technology oil area. Um, those those original um, uh, barnstorming, or you know, it's instinct versus data. Uh, back then it was, you had to have some talent in order to go get those deals done. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and now it's data. Uh, you still have to have talent. You got to know how to read the data, but right. Instinct versus data. Is that a fair statement? M most definitely. Um, and you know, what's interesting is, is a lot of our really good buyers, especially for the say sub million dollar assets are some of the same guys. Uh, they're a little older now but that were bidding in those original RTC auctions and then back in the early 2000s and those hotel style auctions and they've done really well. And it, it, I mean, it's their livelihood. There's probably 50 of them that have you know done this. And it, it's, it's interesting to see kind of how the oil and gas um, uh, acquisition divestiture world has, has evolved over the years because it used to be very, uh, in my, in my view, very opportunistic. So, you know, mm -hmm. good deal on this Wyoming operated package uh, also, this is another good deal on this South Texas royalty package, and here's this single well over in Louisiana that maybe I can rework, and you know, maybe I can buy this acreage in <clears throat> in the Permian Basin that will ultimately be developed. It was very opportunistic, and <clears throat> but now uh, 
or over the past, say, five to 10 years, uh, to get money from a private equity sponsor or your investors, you really had to have a very uh, laser-focused strategy. If you were going to go to an NCAP or an NGP or someone like that and say, hey, me and my buddies are real smart over here. We have a lot of experience. This guy worked at Pioneer and this guy worked at a, you know, an investment bank and this guy's the best geologist you've ever seen. Uh, and we want money from you because we're going to execute this strategy. If you say, I'm going to go buy, buy properties in the Permian, they say, ah, yeah, we, we, uh, we understand that. You have to say, like, we're going to go into Reeves County uh, in the southwest corner and we're going to drill, we're going to lease up these people that we think we can lease and we're going to drill 10 wells and then we're going to sell those 10 wells to, you know, XTO for X price and it has to be very specific. And if it's not in Reeves County anymore, they don't even, they don't really care to see your deal. Uh, they're, they're, so, they're so laser focused. And that's really, has helped EnergyNet because we can target those buyers and make sure that we're we're sending the right information to the right buyers and not necessarily flooding them with opportunities that just don't make sense for them. And using the technology and the search tools and the uh, criteria to make it easier for them to do their jobs. Chris, uh, Sorry, Blanca, go ahead. Yes, Chris, a three-part question, I guess, from one of your previous comments. You said March has been uh, pretty slow for both buyers and sellers. What would your uh, short-term prediction be for uh, May or April and May and your long-term for the rest of 2020? And one other thing is how will EnergyNet alter or do a little something dip more differently uh, in this environment of COVID-19, which a lot of companies are starting to think about doing some type of uh, alterations or, or, or change as to how we conduct business going forward? Right, no, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, all things considered, I mean, so some businesses are absolutely ground to a halt right now. Uh, interestingly for EnergyNet's acquisition divestiture market, we've closed 110 individual transactions so far in March, even through this, this mess of the past couple, three weeks. Uh, not a huge value, but probably $25 million in aggregate value for those 110 deals. Uh, we have about 175 individual deals that are currently available on our platform in the month of April. Uh, generally speaking though, uh, you know, we were, we kind of came out of into 2020, our company, you know, ready to rock and roll, ready to, to, to help companies sell assets that they needed to. We had, you know, have a lot of, uh, uh, significant business in our pipeline uh, of deals in the works that we're moving through kind of uh, uh, sourcing the deal to getting it to a contract to sell with EnergyNet to building the data room to go into the process. So uh, as, as I mentioned, some of the, the larger asset divestitures are, are paused for the time being. Uh, probably I would, I would expect they're going to be paused for a month or two. Uh, so after we've, you know, Getting through March has been very difficult. We expect April and May to be relatively slow, just in terms of new deals coming to the market, uh, new seller agreements being signed. Uh, so we expect April and May to be relatively slow. We do expect it to pick up. I mean, uh, what we've, for acquisition investment specifically, volatility in the general market or commodity price uh, may, causes things to seize up. Um, so after people kind of get a, pick themselves up, up up off the ground and get up out of the fetal position, uh, you know, have, have a cup of coffee and they'll try to get back to work, uh, we expect 
deal flow to, to kind of come back. We do have, you know, because of the amount of deals that we're doing and the, you know, the business development team and all the different regions and kind of all of our relationships with large and small companies, we have had a huge influx of calls and, and conversations with buyers that are saying, hey, we have dry powder, we're ready to go. If you have deals that are coming up, we wanna see them. If you have failed sales that occurred in March or you know, the seller really didn't wanna to go to market because they were uh, scared of the market reaction, you know, let them know we're here, let them know we wanna see their deal, let them know we wanna buy it. So I, I think that is a, is a good sign. Uh, you know, it, it, running a marketplace, I, I always deal or, or engage and have conversations with buyers or sellers that are saying why is anyone selling right now or why how can anyone be buying right now but i mean that's kind of the beauty of the marketplace that there are there are people that have a different view than you that are that think now is a great time to buy or now i need to be selling now because it's going to get 10 times worse uh you know which is that's a scary thought of getting 10 times worse than now but there are some people that are looking at the wall street journal or bloomberg and saying you know, there could be no place to store oil. I need to sell my assets now uh, rather than hold on to them. And the energy net creates a market where they can do that. So there's always different views from buyers and sellers on, on you know, how to make money and how to capitalize on the situation. So, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that, you know, June, July, August, kind of coming into the second half of the year, uh, that I, I feel like there will be a considerable amount of, the assets coming to the market from, they meant they're not necessarily distressed asset sales, but they're distressed sellers that are saying they have lender pressure, they have bank redeterminations, they have a number of different things working against them that the powers that be, that they have obligations to will say, you owe us money, you need to work on things, take, uh, take actions to give us the money back that you owe us, so that you, they, and, and that will result in asset sales. Uh, and some, you know, there will be bank or, uh, bankruptcies that occur, and part of those will be, uh, you know, asset sales restructurings, and hopefully those companies can come out on the other side, but they'll be selling assets. So, and it, um, so we see some of that coming. The world changes for the companies that are going to survive this, the Exxons and Chevrons and Conecos and, you know, all of those large companies, just the, the economics of the whole situation changes. So, they're going to have to look at their entire portfolio and say, what makes sense at $20 oil? And what, what are we going to devote capital to? And what are we not going to devote capital to? And I think what you'll see is from those large companies, there will be situations where there could be great fields in the Permian or East Texas or Oklahoma or Wyoming or wherever, where the, the decision is going to be made that that doesn't make economic sense for us to continue to devote capital, to continue to drill wells from an ExxonMobil or from a Chevron standpoint but it will make sense for a smaller operator so there's always been a food chain in this business and you know when the, when the large companies rationalize their portfolio and look at all their opportunities and determine where they're going to put their money to, to create more money there's going to be assets that that are great great assets that just don't fit in a in a large company's portfolio anymore it's going to you know it's going to create a lot of opportunity for others um great question blanca thank you very much that was cool yeah definitely um, uh, the, the other thing is you'd mentioned $20 oil. So that brings up the old question. Uh, what are your thought processes on the oil embargo? How, uh, committed do you think Russia is? How committed do you think Saudi Arabia is? What do you think Trump's, uh, I know this is, I'm just lobbing out a, an opinion bomb for you. 
So. No, it definitely is. <laughs> I, I do think that Russia and Saudi Arabia uh, have to blink. Um, um, yeah, I think it's a, a clash of personalities right now uh, with uh, Putin and with uh, MBS. Um, I don't think that they're thinking through kind of the long-term consequences to uh, their own economies and to their own populations and, and citizens. Um, I think it's a clash of personalities that will be resolved, but if it's three three months or six months or nine months, uh, that's a long time and it's a lot of pain for U.S. producers. Uh, I, I think that there's going to be a, a large number of well-known named U.S. producers that won't exist, you know, a year or two from now. Uh, I think that's the the reality that we face. Um, I would say, I, uh, I know Trump is is making overtures on on what he he can or will do. Uh, to address the situation, and and um, and I, I think there are some options. I mean, historically, Saudi Arabia has been our ally, and and the, the purpose of OPEC is to somewhat stabilize the markets. Uh, um, the one of my big concerns, just from a, a macro standpoint, is you know if if Russia and Saudi Arabia and OPEC plus you know all make nice tomorrow. And and, uh, and and put on a, a happy face and say we're going to get through this and we're going to make cuts and the oil price goes back to fifty five dollars a barrel uh, and companies feel like they have a reprieve. I think generalist investors uh, will always kind of have that lingering over you know, thought in their mind that if they break up tomorrow, all this happens again, all of it comes crashing down again. So it makes it very difficult to invest or to invest with confidence if you think, you know, if that's if that's how fragile the situation is. If, if oil is if the uh, Saudi and, and Russia make cuts and oil goes back up to $55 a barrel because of it. I mean, if they have a falling out in three months or, or next week, is it come crashing? Does, the, the, does everything come crashing down again? I think that's a that's something big to consider because I mean, the, the, the cuts, you know, there, there are kind of, it is kind of an artificial cut. It's, it's artificially propping up the price by by not producing as much as you potentially could. It makes sense to do that. It's prudent to do that. Uh, but it's a very fragile situation. Man. Hey, um, we've got about two minutes and okay. I'd, like, uh, I'd like to do it around the horn. Uh, Blanca, any last thoughts? Just one quick question, uh, Chris. Um, how is EnergyNet uh, prepared to handle the market, whether it be $20 oil, $30 oil, or $40 oil? What, what is EnergyNet here for a long time or what are your some of your uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, our company and the way we're set up is I mean, uh, the company itself is strong. I think we serve a valuable purpose to the industry in good times or bad. Uh, uh, trades will happen. They need an efficient place to do that. Um, so, you know, we're, we're here to, to help our buyers and sellers facilitate transactions. Uh, $20 oil. Uh, if it stays at $20 oil for the next three years, uh, you know, I think we'll be around for the next three plus years and, and we'll be helping people sell oil and gas assets. They'll be of lower value, um, you know, and if, if, if things go back up and, and everybody's, uh, you know, investing again uh, at $80 oil or $60 oil, I mean, we'll be around then. Can you hear? Oops. Yep, we just had a little uh, blurp. So I think that was. So, 
That may have been mine. Saying $20 oil. Right. Um, in terms of the $20 oil, EnergyNet's here for the long haul. We can, we can, we can weather the storm, um, and, and we're here to, to help our buyers and sellers make transactions happen and make them happen in an efficient way. Uh, from a seller perspective, sellers need to have uh, a widely marketed process. Everybody, every participant that can or should know about their asset opportunity should know about it and have the opportunity to compete. That's really what we offer. We offer that to a, uh, you know, a large publicly traded company, to an individual selling their asset, to a distressed company, uh, to a government entity. So, you know, competition works, uh, competitive sale processes work. Uh, and, uh, you know, from a buyer's standpoint, buyers want to see opportunities. Uh, we have a team of, you know, 45 people that are trying to bring those opportunities to, uh, uh, to their attention and, and, and present those opportunities to them if they want to screen them and they don't want to bid or if they want to bid aggressively or if they want to beat everybody on the planet to own that particular asset, we want to provide them the opportunity to do that. Uh, but I think EnergyNet definitely serves a purpose and we're, we're, we're here to help our clients and to, to make it through, but it's, it, it's tough. It's tough for everyone right now. It's a very challenging time as you guys know. Yes. Well, Chris, we'd like to thank you for uh, participating on our 360 Energy Energy and oh, sorry 360 Energy Expert Network. Uh, we'd like to to see if you can participate in the near future and see how uh, we can help you. And you can uh, and thank you for this continued support of Entercom. Yeah. Thank you for your time, and we hope that you, your family, and your EnergyNet family stay uh, healthy and safe. Uh, my wishes for you guys. I don't know if you have anything else to say, Stu. Uh, just thank you both. You know, Chris, uh, you're in Houston and Blanca, you're up in Denver and uh, I'm here in Dallas and uh, I, it's a tough time. And, and Chris, thank you and Blanca for your time. We sure appreciate you both. So yeah, thank you, Blanca. Thank you, thank you, Stu. I really appreciate everything that Intercom's doing and looking forward to, uh, to watching. Uh, the other uh, uh, energy experts on on uh, energy energy 360 and the intercom network. That sounds great. Thank you guys. Uh, Have a nice weekend. We'll, we'll see you yep. soon. Thank you. All right.